We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. Good to see y'all here this morning. Thank you, worship leaders, for leading us this morning. And thank you, Brother Lee, for allowing me the chance to share with the church family here. And thank you because I've met or worked with some of you in your partnership with the Philippines. Uh, Your ministry there through Cherry and her home place being there. I've been a missionary there for 30 plus years. And some of you have gone there and given testimony, uh, supported ministries there. So thank you for your partnership in extending the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is part of what we do as a church family. And uh, I left there in July, and I can tell you that the church is growing there. God is at work. People are being baptized, and you've had a part in that through your participation in the gospel ministry there. So thank you for that. Now this morning, um, I want to be sharing with you about my little journey through cancer and the lessons God is is teaching me and and how he has worked through this. Um, But first, I want to do an illustration. So let's, uh, Sophia, we'll go ahead and bring that first slide up. I want you to... uh, Put on your imagination hat, and I want you to imagine something with me. First, imagine that you are a Christian, and hopefully that's not too hard to imagine. You're saved. God is your Lord. You know you're going to heaven. But you've had a bad year. By the way, let me preface this by saying this illustration is not meant to be theologically correct. You know, but just pretending you've had a bad year and all oh, you have sinned multiple times. You've been angry. You've, uh, you've given into this and that. It's just been an awful, terrible, terrible year. And God comes to you and says, okay, you got to pay up. I'm going to give you four choices. Okay, you got to choose one of them. First one, Poverty. If you choose this one, you're going to be so poor. I mean, you're going to be dirt poor, begging for food, uh, going behind the grocery store, hope you can get the expired food that's thrown out every day. That's going to be a mess. Option number two, blindness. Oh, you won't be able to see total darkness the rest of your life. Blindness. Option number three, pain. Back aches, headaches, body aches, heartaches, everything, just pain the rest of your life. Option number four, death. The moment you choose that, 30 seconds and you're gone. Which will you choose? (laughs) Again, this is not meant to be theologically correct. But what if we took this illustration out on the street and asked most people on the outside, which do you think most people would choose? My hunch is most people would not choose number four, death. They'd choose one of the first three. They will reason that, well, I may be poor, but at least I'm still alive. Or I may be blind, but at least I'm still breathing. Most people have a huge fear 
of death. You ask people, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, death. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that probably is the worst thing that could happen. But if you have the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit lives in you, there's a whole lot of things worse than death. And what I want to do this morning is to help remove that fear of death. Jesus says in Hebrews, in Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15, through his death, Jesus destroyed the power of the devil and he did this to make us free from the fear of death. We no longer need to be chained to this fear. And so many, even believers, are chained to that fear. I remember my youngest daughter, after my wife and I had our initial sur surgeries back in 2004 for our cancers, and we were talking about heaven and how great it is and wonderful it will be. And she said, well, Dad, if it's so great, why do people try so hard to extend their life here on earth as long as they can? I said, that's a great question. Good perspective. Because we believe what God's word says, what Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. Do we believe that? And why do we take all that heart medication and then diabetic pills and just extend it as long as we can? <laughs> um, I remember there was a time in the Philippines, I was talking to a bunch of kids and I said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And they all raised their hand. How many of you want to go there now? And just as quick, their hand came down. <laughs> I shared in the early service about a story about uh, uh, Harold and Mabel. Harold and Mabel passed on, and they were up in heaven walking the streets of glory. And Mabel said to Harold, oh, Harold, isn't it beautiful up here? I mean, look at those mountains and the waterfalls and the forest and the trees and, and everybody's so good to each other. Everybody's perfectly loving and kind and gentle. It, it's just so perfect up here. And Harold said, yeah, Mabel, and just think, if you hadn't fed us all that healthy oat bran, we'd been here a lot sooner. <laughs> oh, my. Well, next slide. Let me go ahead and tell with you about my family. Let me introduce you to my family. Now, this picture was taken many years ago, back when I was still young and handsome. Uh, but there's my wife, uh, Jan, and my five kids. And I think this was taken in 2004, just after we'd had our surgeries. We thought we better get a family picture while we can. So uh, uh, we, let's see, we went to the Philippines in 1985 and serving on the same place where Cherry's from, in Iloilo, province of Iloilo. And wonderful ministry. Uh, my kids were born and raised there. They're, they're glad they were born and raised there. They love the Philippines and the people there. And then in, uh, actually it was Christmas 2003, when my wife first noticed a mole on her right arm, and being the medical-oriented person she is, she researched it and suspected melanoma skin cancer. So we had a biopsy done, had to send it here to the States, and came back in March uh, 2004 that it was confirmed to be melanoma skin cancer. So she came to the States, and I stayed behind with the kids to continue our ministry there, and she 
had a biopsy, or not, a centennial node dissection done, and uh, was recovering from that surgery when me, back in the Philippines, came back from a pastor's conference and uh, discovered my urine turned red. So I got the medical books out and said, hmm, could be kidney cancer. So next day, went and did a CT scan, and it came back that I had a big tumor sitting on my left kidney. So I had to pack up the kids and the house, and we all came back to the States here, and I had my left kidney removed. And we were recovering from our surgeries, eager to go back to the Philippines, even though we were both high risk for recurrence. And it was interesting during that time, we... We never prayed for healing. There's no problem, nothing wrong with praying for healing, but God never prompted us to do that. Uh, we figured if God wanted us to be healed, he would not have allowed the cancer. But our prayer was always, Lord, you be glorified in this. You do nothing by accident. You knew before the day we were born that we would have this cancer. It is part of your plan for us. So Lord, give us the grace to, to glorify you through this. So the mission board was gracious to allow us to go back to the Philippines. We were there for seven months before in uh, 2005, my wife's cancer returned. So we returned to the States and uh, she went through some clinical trial, a clinical trial, and eventually was promoted to heaven in February of 2007. But not before she had a tremendous ministry sharing with groups about her faith and trust in the goodness of the Lord. Even while cancer was eating away her body, her testimony was God is good, regardless of our circumstance. And all we need to know that God is good is the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, no disease can take that away. So she had a wonderful ministry. Uh, and I tell people there's no joy in being a cancer survivor. She got all the benefits quickly. <laughs> you know, I got stuck down here on this earth still. But anyway, um, so I was able to return to the Philippines and continue my ministry there. I came home in 2018 for a furlough or stateside assignment. And so last year, a year ago, October, just before I went back to the Philippines to continue my ministry, I uh, had some tests done, discovered that <clears throat> my cancer had returned, kidney cancer, <clears throat> and it was stage four. So I had a decision to make, and so I chose to go ahead and go back to the Philippines so I could share with my brothers and sisters there about the joy that God had given me despite my circumstance. And the deal was, I said, Lord, uh, once, and I, actually it was between me and the kids, my five kids, they said, Dad, you know, we, we kind of want you to be here too. So I said, okay, when the pain starts or when the symptoms start, I'll come back to the States. So last uh, June, started have, having some symptoms. So I came back to the States in July, had a PET scan done and, uh, this past July. So uh, I asked my oncologist, you know, that big question, how long do you think, Doc? And I said, I know cancer is like a wild animal. You never know which direction or how far it's going to run. And, she, and I asked her, how, how long do you think if I, if I don't do treatment? And she said, well, about a year, maybe a year and a half. So that's kind of the time frame I'm, I'm looking at. Um, but the, the symptoms haven't gotten out of hand yet. Uh, I was joking before that I thought, well, once the pain starts coming, I might move to Colorado and try some of that newly legalized Colorado weed. <laughs> I'm not a fan of pain. But I tell people that I am not afraid of death, but I'm deathly afraid of hospitals, Jerry. <laughs> so, uh, but 
Well, what I want to do this morning is uh, give you three truths from God's Word that will help you when that time comes when you might receive that diagnosis or you know your time is, is soon to be here. And a couple of things before I get to those three points. I know all of you have had loved ones that have passed on and you may have had loved ones that passed on that you weren't sure of their spiritual condition. That was the case with my father. And I remember talking to the Lord and grieving about that. I said, Lord, you know, I've shared the gospel with my dad, but I don't see any indication of his having a relationship with you. And just before my dad passed on, God gave me a tremendous peace. And he told me, he said, Mark, you never know the conversation a person has on their deathbed between him and the Lord. And one thing I have learned in 63 years of ministry is God is a God of mercy. And if there's any way possible, even in those last moments of awareness, for a person to call on the name of the Lord sincerely, I believe God will forgive and God will save. He's that merciful. And then another situation is some of you have dependents. I mean, you may be very young. I was, uh, when first got our cancer, we still had our five kids with us. And uh, my wife used to joke that uh, her biggest regret in leaving this earth was having to leave the kids with me. <laughs> but they turned out okay anyway. But... Um, uh, but having dependents, what do you do if, you, if you're still young and you have, you know, children or even grandchildren? And again, the Lord knew before the day you were born how many days you would be upon this earth. Psalm 139, all my days were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. And God has a reason for everything he allows. And he can take care of those you have to leave behind. One of the things my wife and I did before we went to the Philippines, to the mission field, not knowing what could happen, is we asked a very godly couple if they'd be willing to be the godparents for our kids in case something happened to both of us. And that just gave us a tremendous release to be able to give everything to the Lord and say, Lord, thy will be done. And so if you are a parent, or especially if you're a single parent, and you can do that for your child or children, to, just to have that base covered if anything were to happen. So, uh, cancer, the, the pain, the, the test, uh, 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 we don't like that part. But I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 that talks about these momentary light afflictions. They may not seem like momentary light afflictions when you're in the middle of them, but compared to the weight of glory, Scripture says that we will receive, the pain will be so little compared to that. So, God has an answer for those things. Now, those three things, three truths I want to give you this morning to help you, uh, not just to get through these things or just to accept it, but to have joy in the midst of it. Truth number one is the security of eternal life. It says there in John 3, whoever believes in Christ has eternal life, has present tense. He has already passed from death to life. Jesus also said, anyone who lives by putting his trust in me will never die. Oh yeah? 
never die. Come on now, we know what's going to happen to these bodies. And you guys are mature enough to understand God is looking at the spiritual, which to him is far more relevant, far more important, far more eternal than our physical life here. And I believe the moment this body takes its last breath, immediately I will not lose consciousness, but immediately I will be brought into the presence of God in heaven. And man, I'm excited for that. Wow. So for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no death. This body will die, but our spirit and soul will go on into eternity with the Lord. And the scripture lays out a sequence that uh, this body dies and then our soul and spirit are with the Lord. And uh, eventually, Jesus comes back again, second coming, and that's when we receive our resurrected body. Now, that is something to look forward to. Now, some of you are kind of young, but when you get to this age, you're ready for uh, a new one, <laughs> uh, an upgrade. And Scripture says our body is going to be like that of Jesus, uh, eternal, pure, and imperishable. And I'm so ready for that. I, when I was a kid, I used to read Peter Pan and how he flew around the room. I want to do that. <laughs> I don't know if we'll, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing what the Lord will do as he gives us our new imperishable resurrected bodies. I think it's going to be fabulous. And then also in scripture, well, the verse there, I'm thinking of the thief on the cross. Thinking of God's mercy. There was that thief on the cross and he repented. He acknowledged Jesus. And what did Jesus say? First, you've got to go to purgatory for a thousand years. You've got to pay for those sins and I'll let you in. Is that what he said? <laughs> no. He said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I share this with my Catholic friends in the Philippines that I'm sure that thief had a lot of sins he could have had to pay for. But God is so rich in mercy. And I'm so glad he is because I so very much need it. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 5, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. I prefer, rather, he says, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Even though there will be that time before we receive a resurrected body, which we won't have a physical body, but even then, Paul says, that is very much better than what we're stuck with down here. He says in Philippians 1, 23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very, 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 very much better. So, the security that we have as believers, that we can bank on, that is for sure, is, a, is an anchor that we can hold on to when that time comes for us to leave this world. The second truth I want to share it's called the ugliness of this world. In this image here, you see in the background, I could have put a picture there of maybe, you remember earlier in the year they were having all those riots in Portland, Oregon? And if I was to show that, you would probably quickly agree with me, yeah, Brother Mark, this world is ugly. There's ugly things that happen in this world. Or I could have put the picture of maybe the 
kind of poverty that we see in the, in the Philippines, the squatter areas, or uh, maybe in places like India, Calcutta, India, and all these impoverished people. And you would agree with me, yeah, there's some ugly places in this world. But do you see the ugliness in the nice things of this world? The material things in which it is so easy for our hearts to get wrapped around and entrapped in. And before we know it, our focus is off that which counts for eternity. Uh, I tell my kids that if Satan has a headquarters in this world, it's the mall. Mercy me, when you walk through that mall, you got those, what is it up now, 65, 70 inch, maybe 80 inch LCD TVs just there, and you think, boy, if I just had that to watch the football game every Sunday or watch this show or that, boy, that, that's heaven right there. Or you walk through all those shoes, and I mean, thousands and thousands of shoes to choose from, or the clothes, and oh, it's so easy to get our focus on that which is material. Or all those restaurants and things that make us focus more on the body than, than on the soul. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom because he fails to see the devilish power through that which grasps our heart and takes our focus away on what is eternal. And we're all guilty of this. We live in a culture there that is so materialistic focused in a world that just does all it can to keep our focus and attention away from the Lord. What does those verses say there? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Do not love the world. And yet it's so easy to give even a piece of our heart to it. And there in 1 John, look at that. We know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now let that seek in for, for a moment. The whole world. All that we involve ourselves every day, the, the, the commerce, the entertainment industry, the politics, the, uh, the agriculture, the, uh, just all parts of the world that we involve, it says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It doesn't mean the thing in itself is bad, but when that thing ends up controlling our heart and taking our focus away from what should be our first love, that's when it becomes bad. And that's when we are guilty of loving the things in the world in which God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Do you know who Jesus said was the greatest man to ever live, uh, you know, what, who Jesus said, not Jesus, but who, besides Jesus, who was the greatest man who ever lived? You know who Jesus said that about? Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus said, no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Now, why did he say that? Well, one little thing to notice about John the Baptist, how old was he when he was put in prison? for proclaiming God's word, probably in his early 30s. And notice that uh, Jesus had every power to rescue his first cousin, but he didn't do it. And I believe because Jesus knew what John was going to receive once he got into eternity. And uh, 
he was ready to leave this world. But why did Jesus say that he was the greatest? I believe the reason Jesus said he was the greatest is because John was born into a priestly family. His father, Zacharias, was a priest. And that entitled John to all the perks of being a priest. He could have had the nice priestly clothes. He could have lived in a nice house where the priest lived. Plenty of food, didn't have to worry about that. But he forsook all of that. He said no to those things so that his entire 100% focus could be on the things that God had called him to do. I believe that's what made him the greatest. And you know where he lived? Uh, There in the wilderness, eating insects, wearing animal skins. There was nothing in this world that had a hold on him. He was free to focus on that which God had called him to do. So what does the scripture tell us about this world and about its ruler. Next slide. Scripture says that Satan is the ruler of this world. And that means he's in charge. Wherever God's people are not, Satan is in charge. I used to ask people in the Philippines, where do you think Satan works at in this world? And they would say, oh, he's over there at the disco house or at the beer joint or one of those kind of places. And God is over in the cathedral or in the church, and everything else is kind of neutral territory. But no, that's not what Scripture says. He is the ruler of this world. When Jesus was uh, tempted in the wilderness and Satan came to him, and uh, Satan said, all these kingdoms of the world I can give to you because they've been given to me. I'm the one in control of them. Jesus did not dispute that. So Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the God of this world, the prince of the earth, and the power of darkness. And he is subtle. He is tricky. He appears as an angel of light, and before we know it, he has a place in our heart, if we're not careful. The things of this world can so easily grasp our hearts and hold us before we even know it. Next slide, it says, the world does not know God. That's not surprising. It says, Jesus said, it hates Jesus. It rejects God's Holy Spirit. It is full of evil. Do you know how full full is? Meaning there's no space left over. And that's the world we live in. And again, it's so easy for us to to kind of sanitize it and, and make things comfortable and look good. But when the veil is turned away, God said, oh, please, have the eyes of your heart open to see the ugliness of what this world can do to our hearts and to take our affection away from our first love. Scripture says the world is under God's judgment, and because of that, it is passing away. It is passing away. So what is the Christian's relationship to the world? Next slide. It says, do not be conformed to this world. God warns us of that. Are you being conformed? Are we being conformed to it? The scripture talks about the world forces of darkness, the spirit of this world. This world has its own spirit. It's uh, the greed, the power, uh, the lust, the envy, the jealousy, 
All these things are part of the world we live in, and we get so used to being in it, sometimes we just don't realize how ugly those things really are. But I get to leave all that soon, and I'm so glad I will. The wisdom of this world, and to keep oneself unstained uh, by the world. You know what a stain is? When you got that hot chocolate Christmas mug, and you spill a little bit on you, and it leaves a stain, and it's hard to wash off. That's what happens to us when we go out into the world. We, we see all the nice trimmings and things of this world, and, we, and we're, that's where our focus is, our mind is. You know, get this, get that, make it bigger, upgrade. That's where we think of. And before we know it, we've lost our first love, and the affections of our heart has turned away from heaven. And so we're stained by the world and, and we don't know it sometimes. And that's why we need the washing of God's word and the cleansing of his Holy Spirit. And to be here among God's people and to hear God's word so we can wash those stains away and be renewed again. So then scripture says, friendship with the world is what? Is hatred to God. You remember when Jesus was, uh, had the crown of thorns and there he was standing before, uh, was it Herod or Pilate? And he was asked about his kingdom and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. You think about the Christmas story and all that Mary and Joseph had to go through uh, and that travel to Bethlehem and being born in the stable and Mary's probably remembering, didn't that angel say that this child is the king of kings and his kingdom shall have no end? God's kingdom is not of this world. So, and the world is passing away. I remember that prayer in Psalms, Lord, test me and try me and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And that's what I have to do as I get out into the world and I'm surrounded by so much material things, Lord, examine my heart. I think what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, there's nothing on this earth I desire. Wow. And I remember the words of Jesus when he was in the upper room with his disciples about to face the cross. And he told them, the ruler of the world is here but he has nothing in me. Oh, that would be our goal, to be able to say, oh, Satan has nothing in me. Wow, that is power. Well, truth number one, the security of eternal life. Truth number two, the ugliness of this world. But it's not just about what we leave behind, it's also about what we get to go to, the beauty of heaven. So, Next slide. I want you to put your imagination cap back on. And I want you to try to imagine for yourself what you think heaven would be like. What images come to your mind? And just go with it. What, what, do you, what would be heaven for you? I used to do this with my kids a long time ago. It, and they remember, they were talking about it the other day how we used to talk about this. Well, what, what's heaven for you? And I remember my youngest son, he popped up one day and he said, oh, 
heaven is having wall-to-wall Lego blocks where I could build the biggest skyscraper and just all, all the different pieces. And another one of my daughters said, heaven to me is having bucket full of M&Ms and being able to eat all I can without getting sick. <laughs> well, hopefully our images of heaven are a bit more mature than that. But go ahead and imagine what is heaven like to you. In Colossians 3 verse 2, the next slide there, Scripture says, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. And I think this is a practical application of that verse. There was a place in the Philippines, in, in Rojas City, where we lived for many years. The main street ran through this dirty, hot uh, market area, uh, open sewage, and the little kids run around with hardly any clothes. They were just too poor, and the odor was awful. And I remember the Lord just telling me, Mark, it's okay. It's not always going to be like this. I think it's okay for us to try to imagine what heaven's going to be like. It helps get us through a lot of the difficulties here. So in your own imagination, what is heaven going to be like? I love nature. Uh, I've spent a lot of my years uh, growing up hiking in Colorado and Wyoming and up in the Cascades and just, I love nature. But some of you who are more extroverted might think about certain people that you'll be able to interact with. What is heaven like for you? The scripture gives us some clues about what heaven will be like. In Isaiah 35, it says, sorrow and mourning will disappear. And they will be filled with everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. Do you know how long everlasting is? Here's an illustration. I want you to imagine a hummingbird. And that hummingbird is going to fly by the top of Mount Everest. Tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. And once a year, this little hummingbird is going to fly by the top of Mount Everest and brush the top of it with its wings, like that. How many years would it take with that little hummingbird once a year brushing the top of Mount Everest with its wing for that mighty mountain to be eroded flat to the ground? The time it would take for that little bird to do that, eternity has just begun. That's a long time to enjoy a place where there's no sorrow uh, and all you see is joy. Next slide. In, in Isaiah 65, it says, it will be a place of happiness and a source of joy, meaning no matter where we look at, it's going to bring joy to the heart. We'll see that, wow, look at that, and then that, Wow. Kind of like what I felt when I walked into the foyer and saw all your Christmas decorations. Wow. <laughs> Heaven's going to be like that no matter where we look. It's going to inspire us to rejoice. And then, of course, in Revelations 21, verse 4, we know that verse. In heaven, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Can you get into that? Isn't that going to be marvelous? All the... The temptations, the jealousy, the strife, the anger, the envy, gone. Don't have to bother with it anymore. 
And I don't think we realize what a marvelous thing that's going to be because we get so used to being in it every day. But I think when we step into heaven and all that stuff, all that garbage is gone, wow, what joy is going to fill our hearts. And then in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, it says, Jesus said, the Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So there's my house. Y'all can come visit me. (laughs) Jesus keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. In my father's house or many places, if it weren't so, I told you and I'd go there to prepare a place for you. And if God knows how to prepare a place, I believe he'll do it. For those whom he loves. One of my favorite times is Christmas. I love when the kids were younger, watching them open their gifts and their eyes get big. And I think our Heavenly Father is going to have the same joy when we step into His kingdom that He has prepared for us. And it's going to be even more marvelous knowing we don't deserve any of it. But it's only because of God's mercy and His love that we're there. So what does heaven seem like to you? What images, what, what comes to your mind when you think of heaven? Jesus. Jesus, okay. Do you get images like a garden? or waterfalls, or trees, or a banquet table. with the, I don't know if there's any turkey up there. There's no death. I, I can't have turkey. <laughs> but it's going to be wonderful. Next slide. I think that's the last one. Next slide. Whatever your mind can imagine, heaven's going to be a thousand times better. Because God says in his word, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and no mind has ever imagined what God has made ready for those who love him. Wow. Whatever you can imagine heaven to be, it's going to be a thousand times better. That's how good and great God is. Are you ready? Are you excited for it? I am. Now, let me just share one more thing before I close, a little bonus here. When I learned about my cancer diagnosis, my reoccurrence, like a year ago, October, there were some emotional things I had to work through. Uh, And I think that's natural when you get a diagnosis like that. Uh, My first thought was, huh, I guess that's going to change my plans. (laughs) And... uh, and the thought of, of leaving behind family, my kids, my two granddaughters. And I cried, the thought of having to leave them. But I remember as I went back to the Philippines, that first morning I woke up in the Philippines, God poured out his grace on me. And grace is not just a static concept, it's his power. A power not just to accept my condition, but to have joy in it. And the key is to not focus on what I have to leave behind, but focus on what I'm going to. And boy, joy will fill your heart if you imagine and anticipate all the good things that God is going to pour out upon those whom he has chosen to love. And that's worth looking forward to. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the promises of your word and for the power of your grace. Lord, you knew before I was ever born that this cancer would come to me. It was part of your plan. And so, Lord, you have purposes. 
You have reasons for those things you allow and for those things you cause. But Lord, regardless of the reason for it, thank you so much that you have prepared such a place for us to enjoy for eternity. So Lord, comfort our hearts with these words. And Lord, may you continue to be the center of our life. Lord, may the things of this world float away in light of your glory and grace that we would desire nothing on this earth, that though the ruler is here, he has nothing in us. May that be our call and our purpose and our goal. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to have a time of invitation. Brother Lee is going to be here, here at the front. And what this is is simply a time for you to respond however God is speaking to you. Uh, if, if you're not sure about your eternal destination, this is a good time to be sure. And Brother Lee would love to help guide you through that. Uh, if you need to pray up here at front, you're welcome to do that. However God leads you as he leads as we sing. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.